Amen, amen. You may have a seat. I'm so glad you're here today. The enemy is certainly at work, but Jesus is even more powerful than him. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And Jesus has not come to condemn you in your sin. He has come to free you from your sin. It is on the cross that he took all of that guilt, that shame, all of that weight, all of the condemnation, this is what he embodied on the cross. This is the true pain of the cross. This is what he died for. But the cross was not the end. The resurrection is the rest of the story. The resurrection proves that Jesus' death was accepted for your sin. The resurrection proves that there is power in Jesus over the grave, over hell, over death, and over sin. Amen? And he invites those who will come to receive that life, to have life in him. And whom the Son sets free is free. Indeed. Amen. Amen. The last thing the enemy wants us to know is that we are free. But this is where we are going to park today in this truth so that we might know how to live free. Our message today is called, You Don't Have to Stay Here. You don't have to stay in the place of shame and guilt. The enemy knows that once you've come to Jesus Christ that he cannot have you. He knows that he cannot possess you. He knows that he cannot control you. But he knows he has the power by his lies and deception to make you believe him and then for you to destroy your own life. And this is what the enemy is all about. He will do all he can. And he uses two major tactics. And today we're going to expose the enemy's lies and show what he does. And if you'll understand these two tactics... And if you'll understand what Jesus has come to do, you can truly walk free. Amen? Those two tactics are guilt, making you live in the pain of your failures of the past, believing somehow that you still have to pay for them. That's guilt. And he uses shame. He uses shame to tell you, you are a failure. Not only have you failed, but you are a failure. You will never escape. You can never be free. You will always be the rotten mess that you are. And the enemy uses those two tactics, guilt and shame. Guilt and shame. And I know you might be thinking, well, isn't that what we're supposed to do as Christians is have a whole bunch of guilt and shame? I'm not sure where you heard that, but you didn't hear that from the Bible and you didn't hear that from a church that preaches the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on now, because you and I have not been born into condemnation. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's spell this out just a little bit on the board here today. I hope you got some paper. I hope you got a phone where you can take a picture of what's going to be happening today. Before you and I were saved, we had the identity as a sinner. You didn't have to identify with it. It is who we were. Before we came to Jesus Christ, this is who we were. We were caught in our sin. We were filled up with guilt. We were separated from God. And we were filled with guilt, 
We were filled with shame and we were condemned in that moment. This is the weight of being separated from God. John 3.18, not 16, 3.18 says, He who believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If you have not come to Jesus Christ, you know exactly what I'm talking about right here. You know the feeling of shame. You know the feeling of darkness. You know the feeling of separation from God. And this is who we are. We are guilty. We are shame because we are a sinner by nature. It's just what we do. We don't have the ability to do good because we are lost in that moment. And we are under condemnation. Our own sin condemns us. But the Bible says this is exactly why Jesus came. So that you and I could be free from our sin. And Jesus bore this on the cross. The real pain of the cross was not the nail, was not the crown of thorns, was not the shame of Jesus bearing his body before the world. The gross cruelty of the cross was that there Jesus took your sin, my sin, guilt, and shame on himself. This is why the sky grew dark. This is why he was crying out. This is why it felt to him like he had been separated from the Father. This is what was going on in that moment. And he died there in that. So that all who would believe could be set free from that. All those who would enter in would know freedom. And he invites us to come not by trying to be good enough, not by trying to clean up our act enough. He invites us to come and receive this by faith, to believe it and receive it into our heart. And those who do, their heart is truly changed. Jesus didn't say, hey, I have come that you might start having something to do on Sunday mornings. That's not what he invited us to. He invited us to life a new way of living so that in him everything about us changes. We don't just add church as a checklist. We become someone different. We become what the Bible says are saints by our very identity. You and I today are not just identifying with being a Christian. That's not what we're doing. When you were born again, the day you prayed and received Jesus into your life, you were changed. You received a brand new heart. And in that moment, the Bible says you were accepted in heaven. You were actually seated with him in heavenly places. You don't just get there by earning your way and get enough ticket stubs along the way. You get there because he transforms your heart and makes you a brand new person. So you are accepted. You are forgiven. You have a new identity. And you are free. This is who you and I are now in Jesus Christ. 
And the last thing the enemy wants is for you to realize this. The last thing the enemy wants is for you to live in this. He'd much rather you live over here because if you live over here, you won't live free. You'll live bound up. You'll live shacked up. You'll live shackled up. You'll live chasing after everything you can because no one can bear this. And you'll look for something to make yourself feel better about your life because this is heavy. And Jesus says, I've come that you might be free so that you don't have to walk in the shame. You don't have to walk in the guilt. You don't have to walk in the condemnation. You might actually be free. And he purchases us. We are bought with a price. We are no longer our own at this point. And he comes and fills us. He comes and makes us new. And the Spirit of God has a role in this moment. Now that you and I are believers, the Spirit of God begins to take up residence in us. In fact, he doesn't begin to, he does. The moment you are saved, the Spirit of God comes to live within you. And that Spirit speaks life and hope and peace to you. He gives you desire and he gives you unction and power to want to pursue God. This is the Spirit of God within you. The sad thing is, sometimes in churches, the Spirit gets equaled to guilt. Some people assume that when God is speaking, what he sounds like is a whole lot of guilt, shame, and condemnation. That the Spirit has come to make you feel bad about being a Christian. That the Spirit has come to make you feel ashamed for what you've done. That the Spirit has come to press down on you and make you feel miserable about your life. Has anybody in this room ever thought that that is what the role of the Spirit of God is? And I'm raising my hand because this is what I used to believe. Am I the only one in the room? Okay, three of us are good at this. All right, we got this. Look, here's the deal. The Holy Spirit's role is to point us to what Jesus has done. And so does the Spirit at times point out things in my life that need to change? Yes. Amen? Does the Spirit point out things that I need to repent of? Yes. But at the exact same time, the Spirit is, I'm going to use Jerry here, at the exact, sorry Jerry, you don't have to go anywhere. At the exact same time that the Spirit is doing this, the Spirit is doing this. He's pointing right up at Jesus. He's saying, this sin I'm pointing out, Jesus has paid for it. This sin I'm pointing out, you can be free from it. This sin I'm pointing out, you can be forgiven for all of this. In fact, there is already forgiveness for all this. The Spirit does this. The Spirit does not do this. The Spirit does this. If you hear any other voice speaking to you that's this, this is the enemy. Right? That's important to recognize. Because I've walked in this. A lot of Christians walk in this. They walk around under this right here. And they, therefore, live their Christian life like this. They're beat down, 
they're discouraged, they're depressed, they're afraid to ever show any joy. They are beat up by the enemy. Now, I'm going to break this down just a little bit further here for us. Stay with me. We're going to get real kind of analytical about sin and the spirit. Okay? So, what happens then as Christians? What is supposed to happen when you and I sin? Let me just ask, do Christians sin? Yes, thank you. All right. Do Christians sin? Yes. That is an important moment, what you do next when you realize you have sinned because Jesus came to make us free. So if we sin, how do we get to that? Do we have to live a perfect life before we can ever know what it means to be free? Because when we sin, there is this sense of guilt that comes on us. There's this awareness of wrong. And in that moment, this is where the enemy does two things. He wants to induce guilt and he wants to do shame upon our life. And Jesus says, here's what you do when you sin so that you can move quickly into freedom. You do these two things. You confess your sin and you receive his forgiveness. It's important. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means I have to acknowledge I have sinned. I have to, I have to acknowledge what I've done. But I also have to receive his forgiveness. Now, Sometimes in churches, they preach a whole lot about confess your sins, confess your sins. Go to, I'm going to call out some names here. Go to your Catholic church. The Catholics would say, go and confess your sins and then start the process of trying to work off what you've done, right? Some other religions, confess your sin and start the process of working off what you've done. And Jesus says, that's not what I've come for you. I didn't come so that you would confess your sin and feel miserable about your life and then live under a burden the whole time. I came for you to confess your sin and receive what I've done for your, your sin to make you accepted, forgiven, and have a new identity in Jesus Christ so that you might be free. You do not have to carry that guilt. You do not have to carry that shame. You say, well, that just doesn't seem fair that I get, I don't get to have to, or I don't carry that way, but I can just be free. Yes, this is the wonder of God's grace in Jesus. You get to live free because of what he did. And it comes through confessing and receiving. But this is also where the enemy likes to go to work. He likes to get active in this spot right here between when you sinned and your freedom. Because the last thing he wants you to do is move past your sin into freedom. He wants you to get stuck right here and he wants you to hang out here again and he'll keep shouting horrible accusations to you. This is where the enemy lies this is where the enemy says, 
he owns you. This is where the enemy condemns. This is where the enemy does his work to keep you shackled because he does not want you to be free. Now, can anybody in the room identify with this moment? We all can. We know this moment right here between when we realize we've sinned and our freedom. And Jesus made it possible for this moment to be real short to say, Father, I recognize I have sinned. Thank you that you have forgiven me in Jesus. I will now walk free from the guilt of my sin. This is what you and I are called to. But here's what sometimes happens. We realize we have sinned and the enemy goes to work. And all of a sudden, what should have been just a very short moment becomes hours, days, weeks, years, decades of people living under the weight, under their shame, and under their guilt. There's no freedom there. Amen? Today, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture, Psalm 32. If you have your Bible, turn there. We're going to follow just a little bit about what happened to a man who was a believer when he sinned in his life. The man, you'll recognize, his name is David. He is a king at this point. God has called him. God has worked in him. God has had used him for some great victories. And he is a king. And one day, he fails miserably. As a follower of Yahweh... The Bible tells us that there was a night or a day that David looked out and he saw Bathsheba. And he called for her. A woman that was not his wife. A woman who was married. And he called for her. He slept with her. She became pregnant. And David tried to hide it. David wanted to do all he could to keep this from being known. So he had the, man, the, the woman's husband brought back from battle. He was out fighting for David. He was brought back. David thought, I'll get him to sleep with her when he's home to try to cover the fact that she's pregnant and they'll think, he'll think it's his child. Wicked stuff, right? And so the man comes back and he says, how can I sleep with my wife while my brothers are out fighting? I won't do that. And David's like, oh no, now what am I going to do? It gets so twisted, so wicked that what David does is sends him back out to the front line and says, have him put out in the heat of battle. And he does, and that man dies. So David has committed all kind of gross sin in this moment. And God confronts him with his sin, points it out while pointing to forgiveness. God didn't do this. God did this. And David refused it. David would not repent. David would not change. God sent a man, Nathan, a prophet, to go to David and point out his sin. David still resisted. David still denied it. And then in a move of the Spirit of God upon his life, 
he finally broke. And he confessed and he repented of his sin. Psalm 32 is what David writes sometime later as he looks back on that moment of what it was like, look here, when he sinned and how long this path was between him confessing and receiving forgiveness. And he was going to describe it for us, what this moment is like. And you and I will recognize it. Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Whose sin is no longer seen. This word covered here is also used in the book of Genesis when it talks about uh, God bringing a flood upon the entire earth and the mountains were covered by the waters. It's the same word used here for covered in this verse where David said, man, it is a blessing to know when your sin is covered, not in hiding, but in exposure to God and he covers it with forgiveness. Amen? He goes on and said, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute or count iniquity or sin, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. In other words, blessed is the man who God does not do this to, has done this to, and this man has been honest and there's no deceit in him. He didn't try to cover, act like it didn't happen. He was just honest before God finally and said, I have done wrong. And in that moment, he did these two things. He confessed and he received. Here's what he says next. He says, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. Watch this. In other words, when I was in this spot right here, between my sin and my freedom, when I wouldn't confess and I wouldn't receive, when I was in this gap, he says, when I kept silent, when I refused to confess it and I refused to receive forgiveness, he said, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. I say, wow, that David was one poetic dude. That is really rich in meaning there. Look, David was not just being poetic here. David was being very real. Because when you carry guilt and shame, it has a physical impact on your body. It will make you ache in places you didn't know you could ache. It'll make some things come up in you that you didn't know you even had. It'll make some dis ease happen in your body and no one will be able to figure out why. But it's because you're carrying guilt and shame in you. And David said, man, I was hurting. I was physically hurting because I was spiritually afar from God. He said, for day and night, your hand was heavy on me. He was doing this to him. He was pointing and he was pointing. He was pointing and he was pointing. He wasn't doing this. He was doing this. 
He said, and my vitality or my strength was turned into the drought of summer, Selah. You're like, what? Selah? I don't recognize that as an English word. It's not one we use. But when David wrote it here, it had significant meaning. The Psalms were written as songs. And David has given us a musical poetic clue. That means stop, don't go any further, and really take this moment in. Pause, reflect, instrumental interlude, hang out in this moment. This is an odd space to hang out. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. In other words, the Spirit of God is saying, I want you to hang out right here for just a moment. I want you to acknowledge what happens when the enemy is at work here trying to keep you from being free. So that's important for us to do today. So I want to show you some symptoms that happen for a believer who won't move through this process but starts listening to the lies of the enemy and hangs out here between their sin and their freedom. Here they are. You start having feelings of inadequacy and low worth. So, oh, you're talking about psychological stuff now. No, I'm talking as spiritual as I can right now. Most psychological and a whole lot of physical issues are rooted in spiritual problems. David mentioned some very specific physical problems as a result of his spiritual problem. So emotions and feelings of inadequacy and low worth, they come because we are walking under guilt and shame. Wearing an identity of shame. In other words, you just own the label of loser, failure, no good, sinner, rotten, can't do anything right. That is who you were before you came to Jesus. But if any man or woman is in Christ, he is a new creation. She is a new creation. Stop wearing a name from your past when you've been born again to something different. Stop identifying with what you were when you've been given a new identity and now are. Amen? Toxic search of their heart for more sin. Where you just get in this mode like, okay, God, show me more of my sin. I'll search every corner of my home and every corner of my heart for more sin that's in there. Ugh. What a miserable Christian experience. If you've been born again, your heart has been transformed. You are no longer who you were. It is God's responsibility then to begin the process then of cleansing our heart. And it's not our responsibility to start looking for more sin. It's our responsibility for looking more at the cross. And if you want to get rid of some sin in your life, stop staring at your sin and start staring at your salvation. 
You start staring at what you have been made, you'll stop living in what the enemy wants to call you. You'll start living more free. You don't get more free by staring at your sin. But this is where some people hang out. They live in a paralyzing fear of saying or doing the wrong thing. They somehow are caught up in, oh my goodness, if I do this, God might, oh, God might do this to me and terrible things might happen to me and God, he might leave me, he, he, might, he might take his hand off of me and they just stay focused and worried all the time that they're one click away from somehow just exploding and imploding in their faith. Look, you have been held and are held by the one who has created you and redeemed you. Stop living in fear of what might happen and start living in the reality of what has happened. You have been set free. Live in that. Amen? Fear of being rejected. Many Christians live in this. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. They're not certain that they are forever secured in the hand of Jesus. And as a result, they fear rejection from heaven and they fear rejection of the people around them. Because they don't have it here, they desperate. They get desperate for it around here. And if anybody gives off any clues to them that makes them feel the least bit rejected, man, they tank. They crater because they don't have their identity rooted in Jesus. They've got their identity rooted in, oh, I want people to love me. I want people to think I'm cool. I want people to think I'm great. I got to be accepted by everybody instead of knowing I've been accepted in heaven. I kind of don't care what anybody thinks anymore. Amen? Yeah. They are weighed down in their posture and walk. Sadly, you can spot people who are filled with guilt and shame. They just wear it. They wear it in how they walk. They wear it in their posture. They wear it in their face. They wear it in despair. They wear it in just stone cold stares. That's sad. It's no accident that God calls us to walk upright in the Lord, to live free, to live able to look God right in the stare of heaven and know I am loved, I am forgiven, and I am free. Those who have guilt and shame in their life, they have low energy, sometimes have some chronic pain, and they've got health issues. The Bible's clear on this stuff. David spells it out here. David will say it again in Psalm 103. Listen, verse 2 and 3 of Psalm 103. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Listen, who forgives all your iniquity, comma, who heals all your diseases. You think, oh, those are cool two things that God does, separate things from one another, right? Mm-mm. They're actually connected. Who forgives you of your iniquities, your sin, and as a result, heals your dis-ease. The dis-ease in your soul, the dis-ease in your spirit, all the guilt, all the shame, all the fear, all the anxiety, all of that together. Jesus frees us from all of that. And when you do, David says, there are health benefits to that. It starts changing how we live. Other symptoms are a lack of desire for church, worship, prayer, and scripture. Because man, those things just become a beating if you're walking in guilt and shame. 
I've walked in this before. There was a period in my life where I walked under all of this. And I'll tell you, one of the places that I really dreaded the most, you want to know what it was? Communion. Communion is one of those times where you're supposed to search your heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. And so you go through this grueling, just beat yourself up because I can't dare drink that cup and eat that bread until I first make myself perfect. Huh? That sounds like living by works instead of by faith. Is there a need to confess some sin? Sure. But when I come to those moments, when I come to church, remember, Jesus is not here doing this. Jesus is doing this at the same time. And communion is put to be one of the most powerful pictures of that happening. Sin, forgiveness. Sin, redeemed. Sin, loved. Let's get there quicker. Not walking in the shame in the middle. And then the last one. If you're carrying all that stuff, you'll start looking in other places for relief besides God. You'll start turning to something because you feel a wreck inside. And all of a sudden, you're like, I need something to feel better. I need something to drink. I need something to eat. I need something to find some pleasure in. I need to find some friends. I got to go to a movie. I got to get on social media. I got to go do something. I got to do anything but talk and think about God because it's way too heavy right now. That is the lie of the enemy. That is the enemy trying to do this to you. He's not doing this to you because he doesn't want you to be free. So many people are caught in their addictions today, not because of the thing that they're addicted to. I recognize that whether it's alcohol, drugs, pornography, food, social media, they all have addictive qualities to that and to them. But the addiction is not in the thing. The addiction comes from the hole in your soul because you won't receive the grace that's come from God. In the New Testament, Paul said, walk in the spirit. Walk in confessing and receiving and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You'll find freedom. You'll be free. But David goes on. We paused. We say laud. What an awkward spot to say laud, but we're going to move on because David said this. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. In other words, he confessed it. He got it out in the open. He stopped hiding it. David finally said, I did it, Lord. I was wrong. I sinned. He finally did it. He acknowledged it to God. And he said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. He stopped hiding it. And he said, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David said, when I confessed it, I then received it. And I was set free. He forgave me. Because the Spirit pointed and pointed and I confessed and I received it and now I'm free. Selah. Second time. David said, this is worth stopping and pausing on. This is where you need to camp out for just a minute before you go on because you and I need to remember that when you confess and you receive, there is cleansing that comes to the soul. There is no value in just confessing. In fact, just confessing is a pretty dark, gross thing. 
You spew out all you did, but you got nothing to get you free from it. But when I confess it and I receive what Jesus did for me, that, boom, hits my heart and changes me. And now I love the cross more. Now I value the resurrection more. Now I see who I am more. And I can stand upright in the Lord knowing I am forgiven. I am not perfect. Hello? I can know I have been accepted even when I have done some unacceptable things. But I believe in what Jesus has done for me. And David said, this is where I found the forgiveness. This is where I found the freedom. This is where I could look the accuser in the eye, the enemy of our soul, the one who wants to keep shouting, you're guilty, you're shameful, you don't deserve this, you're wicked, you're a mess, sit down. You don't go anywhere without me telling you, I own you now. Those are all of the things that come from the enemy who does this. And the Bible tells us exactly what his plot and his plan is. In the book of Revelation 12, it says this. For the accuser of our brethren, the accuser of the people of God, who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Because of Jesus, the day is coming when that accuser will be cast down and his lies will stop. But right now, boy, he is at work. And if you don't recognize it in your life, you will walk around with him doing this continually at you. All the time. You think you'll ever accomplish anything great for God if this is what you're living under? You think you'll ever walk in any kind of pieces? This is what he's doing to you? You think you'll ever walk in any kind of freedom if this is what you think God is doing to you? No, you won't. You'll live a bound up, shackled up, shacked up life instead of being free in Jesus. But the enemy... Because of Jesus and our faith in him, he no longer has control over us. You and I can be free. Let's close with three things here that are important for us to know this morning. Number one, in Christ, you no longer have to answer to shame. No more. The minute he starts speaking, don't answer him. When he wants to call you sinner, failure, condemned, shameful, rejected, broken, loser, you look him right in the eye and say, get behind me, Satan. You have no more voice in my life. Amen? This is what you and I are invited to in Jesus. Stop believing the lies. Stop believing the lies that somehow you have to beat yourself up more. Stop believing the lies that somehow you need to focus on your failures. Stop believing the lies that somehow you need to keep talking about your inabilities. Stop believing the lie. You need to somehow keep searching your heart for more sin. It's time to own up to who we are. It's time to own up to what we've been made. It's time to tell the enemy, you no longer have the power to control me. I am free in Jesus. Amen? Amen. In Christ, you have a new name, a new identity, and a new worth. Stop identifying with anything less. In Christ, you are seated with him in heavenly places. You are a new creation. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You are given the standing before God. 
of righteous. You are called and declared blameless before God. You have been made one with the Spirit of God. You are secure and the evil one cannot touch you. You have been washed, cleansed, and forgiven. This is your new identity. It's time for the saint and the child of God in this day to own that and walk in it. Amen? And finally today, in Christ, you are free. It is time to throw off the shackles. It's time to throw off the weight. Amen? It's true. Look here. I'm going to read a verse to you. That if you've been a believer, you've heard it many, many times, but you're going to hear it differently today. Hebrews 12:1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now you're probably thinking, wait, I thought he was saying lay aside the sin. That's what the whole point of that verse was. No, let me read it again. Because we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin. If you're carrying around a weight, I know you're going to get addicted to sin. But when you throw off the weight, you'll find freedom over sin in your life. And it's time in this day for the child of God to throw off the weight of guilt, shame, and condemnation and walk in the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Because here's what he says next. Lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run. Run! Let us run! Let us not stand defeated. Let's stand upright. Let's start walking. Let's start running. Let's start moving forward with what God has done in our life. Let's move forward in the spirit. Let's move forward and shut down the lives of the enemy. Let's bust the doors open and live free. Amen. This is what we're invited to in Jesus. And I know you might be saying, that just seems so overwhelming. That just seems so too good to be true. Welcome to the gospel. Come on now. Jesus didn't die for us just to live in tombs in our life. He died and was resurrected so that you and I might live resurrected. Amen. Why don't you bow your heads with me. Let's pray today. Father, I thank you that there is forgiveness and freedom and life, that we no longer have to carry the weight of our guilt and our shame. God set us free. Let us lay aside that weight. Let us lay it aside, and in so doing, we'll be set free from sin, and we will be able to run. God, I pray that spirit would overtake us as a church, that we would be a people in this day no longer fearful and bound by the enemy, but alive in the power of Jesus to run in our faith. I thank you for truth like this that sets us free. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm excited today because we're closing our service with some baptisms. Yeah. Let me have the Otwells come up here this morning. I had the privilege of meeting with uh, Michael, Morgan, and two of their boys a couple of weeks back. And um, these young men here, they have a grasp on the gospel. They have a real passion to do what Jesus has called us to do, and they're ready to follow him with their life. And so today, they're here to make a public demonstration of that here 
before our church family, and I'm grateful for that. These are two good young men. You want to get to know these young men. God's using them already. So Michael, as their dad, is going to baptize them. Truett, come on up and be a Mike for Mike. Let's do this. Uh, catch my emotions real quick, guys. Um, Jesus calls us to, to baptize others and make disciples. And uh, watching these two boys um, grow in the faith and, and walk in the faith, and they've asked for months and months and months and months to be baptized, and we've kind of pushed it off for a while. Um, but... I, think we'll get to it. Hey, Noah, um, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins? Do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you promise to follow Jesus in all of your decisions and everything you do to create disciples and to live his light out? Okay, by the authority given to me and Jesus Christ, I now baptize you in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Face the same way, Rowan. Um, this is our younger son, Rowan. Um, I could speak all day on both of these boys and where their walk has become, but this kid has known every gospel song, every worship music, and um, really motivates me more to, uh, to sing more, to, to be out loud more. These kids can, uh, they guide us in our walk. Um, there's, there's no embarrassment, and, and if any kids can push you to have faith more, it's definitely these two boys, wherever we're out living it. Um, hey, Rowan. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior? Do you promise that for the rest of your life you're going to live out the light of Jesus and worship him and, and do everything and live like Jesus would? By the authority given to me by the blood of Jesus, I now baptize you in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Have a seat for just a moment because we're not done yet. Morgan has also come this morning to be baptized and uh, I'm excited. These boys are a great testimony and, um, and Morgan comes this morning to make her faith public before the church and she wants to say just a little bit about that. So Morgan, take it away. I'm going to turn the mic on. Tell us why this day is special for you. It's very special to me just to be able to be our boys getting baptized. It's, uh, I feel like every parent. This is every parent's dream, and I told myself I wouldn't cry, so I'm going to try not to. It's all right. You can cry. To know 
that your kids are confident in where they're going and that I'm even more excited to know that I'm going to be able to see them again too one day when all that time comes. But it's amazing how God has truly just worked and shows that he is always there consistently but even more amazing with my story because I feel like he truly spoke to me through these two boys. Um, it, I was very hesitant to, to make this public declaration. I felt like I was living everything you just preached today. Um, I didn't feel worthy. I felt like I needed to perfect certain areas in my life before I gave this public declaration, but here I have these two boys who are still growing. They're far from perfect as am I, as we all are, and they're so confident in what they wanted. They know what this means, and they know where they're going, and so I'm just like, well, who am I to think that I have to perfect these areas to make this declaration? It's, I know where I'm going as well, and I'm over here thinking, well, I kicked out the depression. I kicked out certain things let me fix these areas before I do this and I'm like no God has spoken through these two boys and I, I don't need to think that way and we're going to keep on growing and I, I pray that I do till the day I get to meet him and they've just really pushed me to do that and I love amen. it amen amen yeah and it's important to remember we're not saved by works of righteousness that we do we're saved by grace through faith it's believing. It's not by being perfect first, but it's by believing in the one who has been perfect on our behalf. Amen? So I'm excited for Morgan today. Let's do this. She identifies with Christ in her baptism, identifies with his death and resurrection for her, for us, and identifies with the fact that Morgan, old Morgan is dying here in this. Yeah? And new Morgan is raised up in new life. So Morgan, I'm excited for your public declaration before a church family today and your faith in Jesus Christ. So I happily, excitedly baptize you as my sister in Christ. You are buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Amen.